You're listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Mazzelli, where you'll discover more about writing, publishing, building your author brand, and selling your book. Now, here's your hosts, Chris and Gina. Hello and welcome to the Writing Momentum Podcast. I'm Christopher Maselli and I'm here with my wife, Gina. How's it going, Gina? It's going really good. I'm excited about today's interview because this is not only a fabulous writer, but a fabulous friend as well. And so I'm really, we've been talking about having our guest here with us today, Melanie Hemmer. And so we're just, I'm excited to have her and to hear what she has to say. Yes. Hey, Melanie, how are you doing? Hi, Hi, Gina. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you now. For those of you who don't know Melanie, she is an award-winning author, and she has more than 60 books to her credit, including the Jerry Falwell, His Life and Legacy book. And she's a popular ghostwriter, so she doesn't write a lot of stuff in her own name. A lot of times she writes for other people, and she's a winner of the prestigious Guidepost Writing Contest, and her work has been published by Reader's Digest, Believer's Voice of Victory magazine, and so many more. Wow. That's those are quite the credentials, Melanie. Do you yeah. feel like you have all no. those credentials? I feel like I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Just before we started, you said, we were talking. I said to you, wow, you got over 60 books. And you said, yeah, but not a lot of those are in actually my name. Six of them are in your name. All the rest are in the name of what? Who you go ghost wrote for? Yes. Wow. So that's interesting. You ghost wrote for all these people. And with every ghostwriting assignment that you have to do an interview right yeah and that and- i think when we talk to writers they're like oh interviews make me nervous because <laughs> a lot of us are introverts and we're like oh, i don't know if i want to go and do interviews yeah i think that's one thing though whenever i read your writing that i can tell that you've had a really great interview anybody who has read melanie's work you know that she brings a lot of story into her mm-hmm. nonfiction work. And you read it and you don't just read it from this distant place. You really get immersed in the story and in the subject. And I think that's what comes from a really great interview. I think you have the potential at least to write in that position. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Just like getting deeper into it? I really do. And I've got quite a system because I've been doing interviews almost monthly for magazines. And then many books require weeks of interviews. Sometimes Jerry Falwell, I did nine hours of interviews a day for a week. Oh um, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Yeah. In Lynchburg. So you learn a lot along the way. And I've got a system that I'll share with you guys. If you don't mind me jumping in, let me tell you the one thing that you should never do on an oh, interview. Oh, let's hear it. Yes. You should never get somebody to interview and then say, tell me your story. Mm. Now, why is that? Is that because they don't know where to start or because you're going to get the wrong stuff? Two reasons. Actually, three. One reason is because they don't know what you need. They have no idea what you need unless they're a published author. They're not going to know what you need. And most of them aren't. But the second thing that people don't realize, and nobody told me this when I started, I had to learn it for myself. They're nervous. Yes. Yes. They're really scared that you're going to say something like, tell me your story. And (laughs) they don't know what you need. 
And they're really, even though they're trying to act real brave, when you're interviewing some, please remember they're nervous. They don't know what you want or what you want to say. Now, there are exceptions to that. When I interviewed Phil Driscoll, I was going through my process and he went, hey, Melanie, this is not my first rodeo. (laughs) A million times, but this is exception. Most people have not been interviewed that many times. And if they have, it may be for something different. Even at Believer's Voice Victory, a TV interview is very different than a magazine interview. And so in order to deal with their fear, their anxiety about what's going on, when I set up the interview, always talk them through the process. Uh, I'll need you either in person, depending, or on the phone for at least an hour and a half. And so we need to find a time that you've got that long. Now, if your story is longer, we may go longer, but give them a, a time frame. Also, I tell them, please be thinking about timelines. Like something happened in April of 1995, and then a few months later, this happened. Because I explained to them, I may not write it sequentially, but however I tell their story, I want it to get my timeline as accurate as possible before it goes to print. And then I also let them know at the beginning, I'll be asking you questions. And that makes them relax because they know they don't have to come up with answers that they haven't been asked. It's kind of like you become a coach, right? You're coaching them through the whole process. Do you know in your mind when you start an interview, here's where I want to go with it? Or is it kind of like, I'm not sure where it's going. So I just know I need to walk them through a process to see where where it leads. I think both are true. And when I first started this journey many years ago, I wrote down my questions because I didn't want to get nervous. Forget. I don't write down anything anymore because I've been doing this for over 30 years, except the one question that I ask every single interview, and we'll get to that in a minute. But when I start an interview, I always record all of the contact information. So I know I that recorded and I can easily get to it. I'll tell you, when you said you've got a system, my ears just perked up because I love systemizing stuff, right? Because it makes it easier, I think, as the writer to know that, okay, here's a series of steps I can count on for leading me towards success. Because I've done interviews before and they're very scary to even do as a writer because you feel like, okay, am I going to get everything I need? I don't want to have to call him back 10 times because I forgot to ask something or forgot to go somewhere, or I didn't ask that button question in the moment that would have really brought everything together. So yeah, I love the idea of a systemized approach to this. Yeah. If you just want to jump on in, let's jump on in. Okay. I begin. Okay. Let me back up. I get more information that I'm going to need. Sometimes I tease them and say, I'm going to get everything except your social security number. (laughs) If you're willing to give me that, I'll take it. No, but I don't usually say that. No, I get more information than I need because that information will shadow how I write their story. And so there's two reasons. I begin with this question every time. Where were you born and raised? What did your parents do? Did you have brothers and sisters? Give me your backstory. Were you raised in a Christian home? Now, I do that because I'm going to go sequentially through the timeline of their life in this hour and a half, and I'm going to start back there. 
But the other reason I do it is I can almost feel I'm going, I know the answer to that. <laughs> no, it doesn't have any emotion to it or anything. They can just, they can rattle that off. It's, it's very easy to give. And that sort of starts them thinking, oh, this is not going to be hard. And you can almost feel them relax. And then I will say this. Last week, I did an interview. Okay, this man is the executive director of a major ministry. And when I contacted him to get a time to interview him, he was flying, ministering all over Africa. He's been an executive pastor at a major church in Texas. I mean, he's really big, right? So I didn't know anything except what he is now. So I started the question. Tell me about where you were born. Tell me about your parents. And did you have siblings? He goes, he told me where he was born and raised. He told me he had three sisters. And that when he was five years old, he watched his dad murder his mother. Oh, my goodness. Wow. After his dad was sentenced to 50 years in prison, he and his sisters were put in a foster home. And the foster father sexually molested all of his sisters the whole, all the time they were there and beat mm. them mercilessly. And things went downhill from there. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. Wow. He ended up being in a mental hospital, diagnosed with all kinds. Of, what he had was rage. Mm. He had a lot of anger and a lot of rage. He believed God hated him. And he ended up being on the streets, homeless, a drug addict for many years. His Thank story goodness. was just like, how did he start that way and end up here? Which is yeah. just the transforming power of God. No other explanation to it. But if I just started with where he is now, ever known that? So did you not know that before the interview? Was that just suddenly, oh, this is new information, new revelation that then would, and I don't know how that wouldn't yeah. completely form the article or form the book. Completely form the article. When the story came out in the newspaper, the newspaper said, see, he and his mother and father were going through a divorce. And while he was out of town, she went on a date and took him with her. So when dad got home, he's fine. He said, what'd you do while I was gone? Mommy and I and went here. And so the newspaper said that what this guy, five-year-old said, provoked the murder. Wow. Well, how guilty do you feel? So he's taking the full responsibility for everything that happened. That's on his shoulders then. Right. So it turned out to be a, just a staggering story, but you don't ever think somebody's going to be that far down and become who he okay. is to them. No idea. So that's the reason I like to go in my interviews. I'll start with a birth family. What was their childhood like? Were they in a Christian home? Did they ever hear the gospel? You find out if there was abuse. You find out yeah. early things. And then I take them in segments. What about your grade school years? What about through middle school, middle school and high school? And I take them through that asking for a timeline as close as they can remember it along as. So I'm getting the major plot points, you might say. And so I have a few questions that I ask every time. One of my best things is, what happened next? And that just spurs them on to share more. And then 
the other thing I found is even if I'm, a, whether I'm on a phone interview or a personal face-to-face -face interview, they need to have some response from me. Go on, Bella. Now, I didn't have to remember to do it when, to respond when he said he watched his dad kill his mother. I was like, mm. what did you just say? Or you want to make something along the way. If it's on the phone interview, I always try to say, oh my goodness, how did that make you feel? What helped you get through that? Do you remember what the weather was like that day? So you were driving a Mustang. What color was it? Because you want to make many scenes as you go along. You want to get as much detail as you can. I love that you're pulling, you're getting those details, but I can tell as you're asking these questions, you're getting to the emotional, you're getting that emotional level to those questions. So the details aren't just, it was a sunny day. You've automatically tied those details to the emotions that they were feeling, which you get that so much in your writing. And I love how you're talking about sequentially, because I, I have interviewed people before that they start telling me their story and then they'll jump. And I'm trying to, in my mind, I'm trying to track what, wait a minute, how did that happen? And I've got, all of a sudden, I've got these questions and I've got to try to get the answers, get the connections, the thread that, okay, how do we get from, how'd you get from here to there? I love that. Question that you always want to ask in every interview, never leave it out, is what were your blackest moments? Because, for instance, on this interview I did last week, I thought his darkest moment was probably when he was in a drug addict hotel and he was suicidal. I thought that was what he'd say. You know what he said? That's when I heard about the newspaper article that claimed it was what he said provoked the murder. He had a problem. You don't know what you're going to get. So yeah. I used to always say, what was your blackest moment? But a lot of times I'm interviewing a man and his wife. They may have had different black moments. Mm -hmm. And as you both know, the black moments are your story problems. And the story is the engine that runs everything. So that, as much as you can get it. Wow, that's so good. Okay, so you started off by getting just some of the basic details, then you asked some of these provocative, very, questions. Yeah, provocative questions. They're just questions to lead them to the next step. So what happens next? Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll use your here prompt. <laughs> That's a good one. So the thing about it is that sometimes, occasionally, they'll just get off on a rabbit trail. Now, occasionally, the rabbit trail might be gold, but sometimes it's a real snoozer. Here's what I found is that unless it's ruining your interview, I try to listen. People don't feel heard anymore. They want somebody to hear them. So while they're on a rabbit trail, I know it's being recorded because I record everything. We can talk about that in a minute. But I have a pen and paper and I'm writing down all the things I want to know. So that when I reel them back in, then I say, okay, before we go any further or I may wait to the very end and say let me just ask you a few things I was wondering about and I've mm -hmm. got my questions written down there what else I want to know about their story get them back on point and also to find out the information I need I will tell you I've had different people that have been so interesting to interview 
I interviewed a pastor in Florida. I was there with him, and he is still a friend today, but he had really bad ADHD. Mm. <laughs> the man could not, it wasn't that he wasn't willing to stay on track. Yeah. He couldn't stay on track. And so we were in the boardroom in his church, and he's talking and going everywhere, every direction. And I would do this. Raise your hand. You know what he would do? <laughs> Who let me ask? Who let me talk? I got so tickled. I burst out laughing. So while he was doing that, I was writing down all the questions that I need. And so generally, at the end of the interview, sometimes he'd be, he'd feel like he got everything out. And I'd say, here's some more questions. If that didn't work, he and his wife always took me out to dinner in the evening somewhere overlooking mm -hmm. ocean. And I sent my little recorder and I said, I had some things I forgot to ask you today. <laughs> and his wife would keep you watching. But you don't know what you're going to get into. One time I interviewed someone for BVOV and they had been in another nation and their job was to dismantle bombs. Mm. During the entire interview, all he would do was read to me from the military log. Oh, really? You're like, I could read from the military log myself, right? <laughs> I want to hear from you. And I thought, we may not have a story here. I did everything I could. How did I make you feel? He would go back and read. How did that make you feel? He'd go back and read what was on the log. You know, at 0400 hours, approach truck in the road and use bomb. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I did intensive research about the country they were in, the time they were there, the month, the day, the weather, how bad the mosquitoes were. So I had him on the side of the road trying not to slap mosquitoes while he watched <laughs> the terrorists. And then I built the story around that. At that time, the people I was running for wanted to, me to send them all my interview tapes. They listened to the tape and read the story and thought she made it up. Oh, they called me and said, we want you to call him and read this story to him and record it and send us his reaction. Mm. Well, I thought, that's really a good idea because what he's going to well, I did that. I called. I had it recorded. I called him. I read him the story, and he finished. And he goes, you got it just right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think it's something that you have to know about interviewing. A lot of people think you can't put anything in there that they didn't actually say. But you can do research and set up scenes. And also, there's something called the human condition. In that was interviewing a 90-something-year-old woman. This is the story that won me the guidepost contest. And she had fallen and broken her hip. And I took the story down there for her to read to get her approval. And she looked, she had piercing blue eyes and she's smoking a cigarillo in the hospital bed. <laughs> she looked at me and said, I didn't tell you that. And I said, that's correct. She goes, oh, how did you know? I said, because I figured at your age, most of your friends had died and you felt lonely. And she said, boy, I do. Mm. So there are things that you can imagine and you've known people, your own grandmother, your own mother, your own situation. 
and you can, there is a human condition that you can write in. So when you've got that fine line between what you're coming up with on your own and what the interview actually said, how do you make sure that you are telling the truth of the whole thing? Do you just make sure that they've had a chance to read it? And then as long as they approve, you're good. See, with Guidepost, who is where I started writing, they have a policy is that every one you interview will see the finalized story. It will not go to print until they have a chance to correct anything that's wrong. And then they sign off on it that it's true. And then they give them 25 extra copies as thank you for letting us run the story. So when I started writing for Believer's Voice Victory, I asked them to do the same and all have since I started. So wow. I, I have the confidence in where I write. They will see the story. Mm. And if it's not right, they will get corrected before it goes to print. But I don't do it. For instance, on my first story for guideposts that I ever sold them was the Edmund Post Office Massacre. And I knew it happened in August. It was cold. And I didn't know. I interviewed a survivor, a guy that was shot. And so I went, I crawled over the crime scene tape to look at where he fell through a window because if he fell on the carpet, it would feel scratchy. If he fell on the tile, it would feel cold. So I wanted those details. He didn't tell me how that felt on his face, but I found out. Do you find that those details are a lot of times what makes the story really come to life? Is that what it is that people latch on to versus just telling an overall story, here's what happened? Is it the details that make the difference? It really is because on the second story I sold the guidepost, a woman couldn't swim and she and her husband were at the lake and the lake started flooding and the ranger told him to get out. He said, I'll stay here and button up the boat. You take the guard and go home. The water washed her in the lake and she hung on a tree with snakes for three days. Okay. When they rescued her, I can say it this way. They rowed the boat up to her and got her out of the tree. Now, what do you see more clearly if I tell you they wrapped her in a yellow blanket? That's, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. You're pulling on the senses, aren't you? You're pulling on, you're not just telling the story, but by that emotional or by that sensory connection all of a sudden we sink into the story with you and it just you don't have it get it in the interview Mm. of course you can do research but now i didn't use the yellow blanket or the floor on mike bigler's face but i always get more because i don't know what i'm gonna need that's well good okay someone's just getting into this what are your Overall, yeah. You can ask that, but I want to ask about okay. the technical side of it. Too. Oh, that's right. We're going to talk about because technical. Let's you, do that first. you mentioned that there's a that you have some. I'm sure you have your favorite ways of doing this. Just technically, how to pull it off. I, when things have changed for me since technology's changed, I really like using Rev.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Otter is another example, but I've lost an interview on Otter. And when I lost a four-hour interview on Rev.com, both wanted it for <laughs> On my cell phone, I have the call app for Rev.com and the face-to-face app. But I never do an interview. If you're going to use 
any kind of recorder with batteries. You don't ever, I don't care if you've used the batteries once for another interview, you put new batteries in there. And I never do an interview without my phone being plugged in to where it can't on me no matter how I'm going to go. And I always, only has to die once and you decide that that's never going to happen again. <laughs> and I always charge my AirPods for a long time before I do an interview as well. And they start, if it's a long interview and they start going down, then I'll take one out, plug, charge it, take the other out and plug, keep one in my ear. But I, so I do Rev.com and that, and whether it's on the phone or whether it's face to face, it's recorded. And then I upload it from my phone to them. they Usually by the next day, I've got it transcribed for Word. And then, so I take that transcript and I copy and paste it into a Word document said, Christopher Maselli's interview. Okay, mm -hmm. now the entire interview. Then I go through and mark the timelines where everything goes. And then I have another document that said Christopher Maselli's timeline. And I put all the contact information up top and then I start childhood. And I go down the, so everything is in a sequential order. And that is what I used to write from. Oh, that's good. That's good. So you're not taking the transcript and starting to rework it or anything. Starting with a fresh document, but you've got all that research on the side there that you're pulling from. Yeah. And for instance, when I'm working on a book and I've done interviews, then I will, I was writing a book about a family and they moved from Texas to this town in California that had a lot of gangs. So I did all this research on the town and you copy and paste it right there. The details of where you found the information if you have to cite that. And yeah. so by the time I'm ready to write, I have everything. And if I'm actually doing fiction, then I have everything in, in sequential order according to the plot points and research. Mm -hmm. Do you use Microsoft Word for all this? Yeah. Just keep it simple. But I've never had time. I've got Scrivener and I've never had time to learn. And I didn't <laughs> get on to have you teach me. <laughs> Better take the time to learn. I can't tell you how many people tell me that with, the, with things like Scrivener or other programs. They're like, they got this stuff and they're so excited because it can save them so much time, but there's such a learning curve that they're just like, I'm just going back to my notebook. I'm good with that. I know it works. <laughs> now, Melanie, you are going to be at WriterCon yes. coming up here in just a few weeks. And it's actually, I say in a few weeks, it's, it's a couple, um, weeks, it's in a couple weeks, but it's yeah. also every year. It's an annual mm -hmm. event there in Oklahoma City. What are you talking about this year? This year, Gina Linus and I are doing a class together on writing nonfiction that sells. And we're going through some of the things that we see that are being missed, that yeah. are authors, especially new authors. Good. Oh, that'll That's be so good. good. That would be worth the cost of the conference alone, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually was going to do something else, but Bill said we were really a low on nonfiction this year and asked, and we thought, hey, we can fit do that. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us today. I got to tell you, this interview has been, been really so power-packed. Rich, power -packed. rich mm -hmm. is the answer of good information here. This is the kind of interview I could just go back to and listen to multiple times mm -hmm. just to make sure I catch everything. And I think our listeners are going to feel the same way. Definitely. Such good stuff. Thank you. If you've been listening and you've enjoyed this interview, please 
rate, review, subscribe, share, let someone else know how good this was and share it with them so that they can find it and so that it can improve their writing. Remember, we're not in this alone. That's why no. we do things like these podcasts so that we can all learn from each other because you know what it is together. What, Gina? We have writing momentum. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Maselli. Don't forget to subscribe and get the show notes at writingmomentum.com backslash podcast. Until next time, we hope that you have writing momentum.